morning. How many of you in here today have somebody in your life, whether it's a family member, a friend, maybe a colleague, somebody who is somewhat close to you, but they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? If we're observant, pretty much all of us do. If they were to come to you and they were to ask you, what does it mean to have true faith? Would you be able to answer them? Even more importantly, are you certain that the faith you have is true saving faith? Because not all faith is true faith. Today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that is going to provide us with three tests of true faith. And as we work our way through them, we are going to be given an opportunity to test our own faith. Because if you cannot test your faith, you cannot trust your faith. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using the Pew Bible, that should be on page 1007. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. Please join me as we read, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Today's message is titled, The Tests of True Faith. And the first test that we come to in our text is that true faith believes in God. True faith believes in God. We see it in the first three verses of our text today. However, in order for us to understand what it is that we are looking at, we need a little bit of background here first. So here it is. In 49 AD, Emperor Claudius issued an edict to remove the Jews from Rome. 
When he did this, the Jewish Christians there lost everything they owned and had to flee as refugees to unknown places where they then struggled to get by. As you can imagine, there were many trials and tribulations and hardships that went along with this. But then in 54 AD, Claudius died. And after this, many of the Jewish Christians began to re-enter Rome. However, while they were gone, the Gentiles there had risen to prominence and leadership within the church. So as the Jews came back into Rome, they clashed with the Gentiles. This is when God inspired the Apostle Paul to write the letter to the Romans in order to seek the unity between the Jews and the Gentiles there in Rome at that time. And it wasn't long after this that Emperor Nero burned down the Circus Maximus along with half of Rome and the persecution began. At this point in time, the Jewish Christians there in Rome were suffering. Not only had they lost everything they owned, had to live as refugees, followed by the subsequent humiliation among the Gentiles upon their return, but now they were targets and they were being hunted down and burned alive. Or they were being fed to wild animals as a form of entertainment. And these Jewish Christians were the Hebrews that the letter to the Hebrews was written to. And if you can, just for a moment, try to put yourself in their shoes. You are a Jewish Christian, meaning that you are from the eastern side of the world. And so unlike here in the West, you do not locate your sense of identity, worth, and value inside your individual person, but within the whole. So within your family and your community and your nation. Meanwhile, pretty much everybody you care about is out there being hung on stakes, set on fire to light the streets of Rome at night. Meanwhile, the authorities are kicking in doors and they are looking for you. And you are scared to death. What do you do? Well, these Hebrews had withdrawn from the larger community in hiding, and many of them were considering going back to Judaism in order to avoid the persecution which was now pressing in on them. And so God inspired the author of Hebrews to write this letter in the form of a sermon for the sake of exhorting his audience not to turn away from Jesus. And he begins by explaining how the fullness of salvation has been revealed in Jesus Christ. The fullness of salvation. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that Jesus is the word of God in and through whom all things were created and all of God's providence is provided. On top of this, he is also the perfect sacrifice that takes away our sins, and therefore he is also a better mediator than all of creation, making him better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, and then on top of that, he's also better than Aaron because he is eternal and without sin, making him our great high priest. And as the author works his way through all of this, he comes to chapter 10, where he then tells them that they must hold fast to their faith so that they don't 
turn away because it is only those who persevere all the way until the end who are rewarded. And when we get to the very end of chapter 10, look at what it says in verse 39. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We have true saving faith. And so now the, the author of Hebrews wants to explain what true saving faith looks like. And that's why our passage begins with the word now. He says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. True faith believes in God even without evidence. The original audience here were second generation Christians. Even the author of Hebrews was not an apostle. He was a second generation Christian. In chapter 2 verse 3 he says that he received the gospel from those who received it directly from Jesus. Making him a disciple of the disciples. And he's connected to this community who are also second generation. Which means just like us they were not eyewitnesses to Jesus doing miracles. They were not eyewitnesses to the Romans crucifying Christ. They were not eyewitnesses to Jesus being dead and buried for three days only to come back from the dead and hang out with everybody for 40 days. They believe without evidence and we are being called to also. He says, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Everybody before them and everybody before us, including them, anybody who's ever been approved by God has been approved by their faith. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There is nobody who can go back in time. And even if God were to grant us a special privilege in order to enable us to go back in time, nobody would be able to go so far back before time existed to eternity past in order to witness and observe and test in some scientific manner the creation. Rather, we believe that God created everything out of nothing and we believe it without evidence because he makes us Believe. However, simply believing that God exists does not constitute true saving faith. In fact, James said, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It is not enough to simply believe in God. There are people out there that do believe in God. They might even believe that Jesus died for sins and came back to life, but that does not make them saved because this is only one test of true saving faith and it requires other elements to be added to it, including our next test. True faith trusts in God. True faith trusts in God. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This is an example of what we call progressive revelation. 
In the original story of Cain and Abel, all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, we are not told why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. But the same God who inspired Moses to write Genesis also inspired the author of Hebrews here to write this, and he gives us more information telling us that it's dealing with his faith. And so now we can take this new revelation and we can go back into the original narrative and we can reinterpret it in light of what God has given us. And so if you go into Genesis chapter 4, you will see that Abel was a shepherd of sheep and Cain was a farmer. Both of them believed in God and both of them sacrificed to God. But we see here that there was something dividing them when it comes to faith. And when we look at the details of the narrative, we come to find out that Abel sacrificed the firstborn from among his flock, while Cain simply gave something from his crop. In other words, what this is telling us is that Abel trusted in God. He trusted him as the one who created everything, the one who sustains everything, the one who provides everything. And he understood that he was simply a steward as the sheep belonged to God. So he was willing to give back his first and his best. Meanwhile, Cain did not trust in God. He did not trust in him as the owner. He did not trust in him as the provider. And so he just simply gave him something from his crop. And at this point, all of us need to examine our own lives and, de and determine whether first and foremost, we believe in God even without evidence. Are you like the Jews where you demand a sign? Are you like the Greeks where you demand wisdom? Or do you believe in God without evidence? Second, to what extent do you trust in God? To what extent are you willing to give back to God what he has given to you? We must trust in God with all that we are and all that we have by giving him back the gifts and talents and, and resources that he grants us in order to be used for his sake, his mission, and to his glory. We must also trust in him for our salvation fully. Take a look at the next verse, verse 5. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that we should so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is another one back in Genesis. And if you go into the original Hebrew language, you will see how it says that Enoch walked with God. But then in the Greek translation, along with here in our text, it says that he pleased God. And that is because having walked with God is indicative of having pleased God. And this is actually pointing us back to the garden. Because if we go to Genesis chapter 3, we will see how it says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Yet who was God not walking with? God was not walking with Adam and Eve. And why was he not walking with Adam and Eve? Because they were hiding. And why were they hiding? Because God had told them 
not to eat of the fruit or they will surely die. And while they believed in God, they did not trust in God and they doubted him, giving into their temptation and eating of the fruit. And then once they did, what happened? They both died spiritually right then and there and began to die physically. Meanwhile, Enoch not only believed in God, but also trusted in God, thereby pleasing God and walking with God. And in so doing, he overcame death. And in the same way, by us believing in God and trusting that he sent us Jesus Christ to be born of the Virgin Mary under the law. And then he lived a perfect, sinless life according to the law, only to die a substitutionary death on the cross on our behalf. And after being dead and buried for three days, he then rose from the dead to vindicate himself and to justify us. Through our faith in him, by believing in God and trusting in him for our salvation, we too overcome death. When Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, talking to his sister, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, praise God. Take a look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we must believe in God and we must trust in him fully for our salvation. However, even this does not constitute the fullness of true saving faith. It is only two tests of true faith. And the next one we see in our text is that true faith obeys God. True faith obeys God. Take a look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for, saving, for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah lived in a desert. And up until this point in time, it had never rained in the history of the world. Yet Noah believed in God. And God was telling him that he was going to destroy the entire earth and everybody in it by way of a worldwide flood. Meanwhile, he lives in a desert where water is extremely scarce. Yet he not only believed in God, but he also trusted in God. And because he trusted in God and his word, he was obedient to God when God told him that he needed to build an ark and climb upon it. And by building that ark and climbing upon it, he was preserved from the wrath of God in the flood. And in the same way, Jesus is our ark. And by believing in him 
and trusting in him and following him as your Lord, we too are preserved from the wrath of God in judgment through our faith in him. We cannot separate obedience from true faith. We cannot separate obedience from trusting belief. If we truly believe and trust, we will also obey. They, they are inseparably connected. And this is what James was saying when he said, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Obedience. Obedience to God in following Christ is the separating line between those who have true saving faith and those with false professions. In fact, look at what Jesus said in the Great Commission. While instituting the Great Commission, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize the believers. And do what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Teach them to obey. Those who have true saving faith will be obedient unto death. We will always follow him. And if your faith meets or passes these three tests of true saving faith, then praise God. Praise God, because it's only by his grace that that happens. However, if you are here this morning and you are saying to yourself that my faith or my life doesn't exactly line up, well, I have good news for you too. Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you believe that God exists and you trust in Jesus having died for your sins, then the first act of obedience for you is repentance. And by turning away from your sin, turning away from the world, turning away from yourself and giving your life to God to be obedient unto death, then you too have true saving faith. May we all have true faith in God. And may we all follow Christ all the way into the end and reap the rewards of our salvation in him. And as we go out from here, may your lives reflect your true faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and for who we get to be in you. Thank you by granting us faith and allowing us to not only believe in you, but to trust in you and to be obedient. Help us to continue to read and, and learn from your word. And we ask that you, Holy Spirit, apply it to our hearts and transform our lives through it. Help us to be different than when we came here by hearing your word and being obedient to it. And may we continue to do that all the days of our life, giving you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.